I'd like to invite you this morning to join me in the book of Ruth. We're going to be looking at Ruth chapter 1 today, and you're welcome to join me with your pew Bibles or with the words that will be on the screen. It'll be Ruth 1. And we're going to start right there at the beginning, Ruth 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. That's right, Bethlehem in Judah was falling on tough times these days. Israel was living in the land of the judges. And if you've ever read the book of Judges, the whole theme of this book uh, is that everyone just did what was right in his own eyes. And so every time there's a judge, it seems to get increasingly worse with each one of them. It was like going out for recess with no playground monitor. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and his two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. This man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Milan and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab, and they lived there. So here we are. Elimelech and Naomi, they, they have a choice to make. They can stay and starve or move on to potentially greener pastures with their two sons. And we might say, you know, anyone in their shoes would have made the same choice. They didn't plan to stay long. There, this was just a little sojourn to Moab, a temporary relocating. But they told the post office, we'll soon be back. And many of them, those around them, gave questioning glances as they left the city that sunny day. But over the wilderness and through the Jordan River, they went to Moab, leaving behind the promised land. Soon, some would wonder if it wasn't just God's promised land they were leaving, but his very promises of care over them. Starting at verse 3. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Milan and Kilian also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So the first tragedy on the scene is the death of Elimelech, Naomi's husband, who would never again see the promised land. And soon Milan and Kilian were taking Moabite chicks as their wives in this godless nation of Moab, marrying Ruth and Orpah. And then 10 years later, tragedy strikes again, as every man in the family is now dead. Verse 6, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, 
she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. And may the Lord show you kindness as you have shown to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and she wept aloud. And they said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I had another husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Verse 14, at this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go, go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay. I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realizes that, you know, Ruth is determined to go with her, she just stops urging her. Orpah, with tears in her eyes, she steals a kiss from Naomi and turns back in the direction of her home and her gods. But Ruth doesn't give in so easily to this recommendation. Now she says, you know, we're family now. I'm sticking with you. Sugarland would get this. You know, that whole song of, whoa-oh, whoa-oh, stuck like glue. You and me, baby, we're stuck like glue. Yeah, just kind of just saying, hey, I'm sorry, you're stuck with me now. You may think that the Lord is against you, but I'm coming with you. Your God is now my God, and there's only one thing that will separate us, and that's death itself. And God is going to have to deal with us if he tries that one on us again. So through the Jordan River and over the wilderness, the two of them go. Each step reminding Naomi of the same trek she took just a decade ago. Her finger is intertwined with her boys as they cross the Jordan River. This wasn't how she pictured her return trip. Two helpless women having to make it in the land with no recess monitor. Verse 19. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Verse 20. 
Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law. Arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Upon Naomi's homecoming, people hardly recognize her. They whisper in each other's ears, is, is that really Naomi? Her, main, her name means pleasant, but she doesn't really look that way. That journey that they took, that didn't really do them any favors. And seeing their faces, Naomi quickly explains, don't bother calling me Naomi anymore. I went away full and happy. But the Lord has afflicted me and brought misfortune on my life. Just go ahead and call me Mara, bitter, because that is who I have become. Naomi left Bethlehem full, and yet just 10 years later, her life to her is completely empty. No money, no husband, no sons, and no one to carry on the family line. Coming home is not the homecoming she had conjured up in her mind. This isn't the way she was supposed to come back. I wonder if you've ever felt this way. Maybe it feels that way in life right now to you. You had everything planned out exactly the way you thought it was going to go, and then God said to you, actually, this isn't the direction that we need to go in right now. Maybe you, like Naomi, have wanted him to just go ahead and change your name to Mara, bitter. You may have heard the saying, you know, if you want to make God laugh, go ahead and tell him your plans. Or a more biblical version of this is from Proverbs 19:21. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. I recall when I first started wondering about God's plans here at Rehoboth and what he had in store with the intersection of our stories together. I still vividly remember the first time I met with Pastor Kevin. I had recently submitted a resume here for a youth director position, and he invited me to a local coffee shop to have a talk. And on my resume, I had tacked on a little line about my gifts, only because I had read a friend's resume from seminary and saw that she had included her strengths finder gifts. And I thought, well, that's a nice little clever idea. I'll try that. Well, one of my gifts happened to be that I liked creating new systems. Here's the full confession part of that. I didn't even know what that meant. <laughs> but thankfully, Pastor Kevin did. And, and he made it pretty clear during our little coffee chat th that there was a position that would be coming available at some point. And, and he'd like me to consider it because of this gift area. Well, about eight months later, I started that new position, the one that I have now, Connections and Engagement Pastor. And I remember having some books given to me and this very well-written job description and a passionate lead pastor giving me a pretty vague timeline 
and then telling me how great this was all going to be. And ultimately thinking to myself, well, I'll be curious to see how this all works out. And some of you shared with me even more concerns about this ridiculous new position that you are all going to be paying for. But something happened here recently, and it was a little light bulb that went on for me right in the middle of it. It was the culmination of so many things coming together. Spiritual gift inventories being filled out. You're probably tired of hearing about them by now. Passionate people being put in the right place. Connecting with new people, praying over them, and getting them plugged in where they're gifted. A welcoming space to enter on Sunday mornings. And life groups, precious life groups being formed. Now you already had great things happening here. Vibrant kids ministry, vibrant youth ministry, a deep heart for missions, young at heart, circles, service day, deeply talented musicians. The list here is endless. I could go on and on. Was there anything wrong with what was happening before? Nope. But could we be more fully living into our mission statement? Yes, always. And I believe what took place here on Easter morning with professions of faith and baptisms and church transfers was this bubbling up and rising of a visionary church and pastor one who has a mission statement and intends to live it out with every fiber of their being. And I am sure when there are moments here when you ask questions like, what are we doing? I mean, is this the best that we can be doing? I don't know if you ask that, but I sure do. I mean, I've asked questions like, really, Lord, the best way we can reach the kingdom for you today is by putting some new paint on the walls. Really? But then, you know, a few weekends ago, the Highlighters, they put on their music variety show in McBain. And they asked to use our space for their after party. And a few adults comment to me that night how nice of a space we have for our youth to hang out in, in our youth room, and how warm and inviting our building looks. And I'm reminded, yep, that's all part of it. From the toilets being clean on Sunday morning, to a greeter with a smile on their face, to the type of cookies we serve, it matters when our hearts are focused on the kingdom. So let's circle back. Was there anything necessarily wrong with what was done here before? Nope. But did we fully believe that we were living into who God was calling us to be? No. I hesitate to make this analogy because it, it could be easily misinterpreted, but, but you do this all the time in your life. You know, if you're looking to surprise your wife with a romantic getaway, there's a reason that you might choose the Marriott over the Motel 6. Actually, there's probably many reasons, and if you don't understand what they are, I would encourage you to come talk to me after the service. When we make changes here at church, it's because the leadership of the church desires for us to listen to who God is calling us to be. And you should be praying that they will do that for you and for your children and for your children's children. 
But leadership here is also listening to staff and those serving in ministries and asking them questions like, how can we best live into the kingdom? And maybe like Naomi, you might wonder what the future holds for Rehoboth. You know, for 132 years, Rehoboth has been a part of the Reformed Church in America. That's a lot of rich, deep history. And the decision to leave, that's not taken lightly here. We know that to be true. There's this deep sense of loss at leaving behind a denomination and looking ahead to a new one without knowing what the future holds. And there's this tendency within us to want to look at what's back there instead of what's up ahead. Or to believe that God has anything good coming in the future. Some of us may wonder if we've made the right choice, the right choice, or or if we'll make the right choices in other areas of ministry. I'm pretty sure Naomi had a lot of those same kinds of questions. She must have second-guessed that trip to Moab time and time again. We should have stayed in Bethlehem. Our sons should have married women here. The Lord is punishing me for what we have done. So here's the spoiler alert for the passage we read today. God works it all out. Despite the mistakes that Elimelech and Naomi may or may not have made, the pieces, these pieces, they're still in God's hands. And his plan of providence and care is much greater than any of those in that powerful little book of the Bible could have ever imagined. God's watching over them the entire time, and his hand never leaves them, not for a minute. God shows Naomi how great his providential care is for his people. And so after they return to the promised land, he starts to rebuild this little structure here. The first piece that God sets in place is that on on Ruth's first day of gleaning, she just happens to end up in the field of Boaz. That's interesting. The second piece, God provides a harvest for Ruth. Naomi is overjoyed at the great amount of food her daughter-in-law brings home. Next, These two women are fearless partners in crime as they come up with their all-too-risque plan on the threshing floor to get Boaz to throw that cloak over Ruth. And then God even goes as far as to use Ruth, a foreign Moabite woman in the lineage of the Savior of the world. These are just ordinary people with extraordinary lives in farm country, and they go from a time of famine to a time of harvest, a time of emptiness to a time of fullness once again. And it's interesting that Naomi never gives up. You know, if she came back saying her name was now going to be Mara or Bitter, she could very well have stayed in Moab, thrown in the towel and said, just let me die here. But she didn't. There was something that caused her to come back, even though it was a far cry from the life that she had once known in Bethlehem. 
God takes all of these broken pieces in her life and he rebuilds something new and something beautiful. On days when she let her imagination run, she could have come up with plans that looked a lot easier than this one. But many of us know that's just not how God works. Usually those that make their names into the Bible, they often get there because of their struggles and not because of how easy life was for them. And if we keep reading the book of Ruth, we'll find that God is up to new things. God's building a different structure. Ones that involve people like Boaz and Obed and David. God's plans are bigger or grander than anything Naomi or Ruth could ever imagine, even though this is not what Naomi wanted. But you see, Naomi was supposed to go to Moab. She had to go get Ruth. God needed her. It's like the doctrine of election. We'll never know what we're supposed to be building and what story that we're supposed to write. And I can tell you that on the day that Christ walked into the life of each of his disciples, he changed their lives for eternity. <laughs> he has a funny way of doing that. And so it often seems that God takes us away from the things that we know. God often pulls us away from the things that are familiar. And for us, I guess we need to trust that God's going to have new blessings for us in a new denomination with new leadership and a new vision. Like Naomi, we may feel like life is out of our control, but it's never, it is never out of his. God is involved in every detail of our lives and the life of Rehoboth, his bride. And ultimately, we just need to be open to wherever God is calling us because he alone holds all the pieces. Would you please pray with me? God, sometimes we feel like our own lives are much like all of these Jenga pieces scattered all over the ground. We wonder what it is you are up to. Remind us of your sovereign care over us and that you are near. And thank you for the never-ending grace you offer to us. In your precious name, amen.